this is Lee. What happened to my brother? I don't understand. Which part are you having trouble with? Well, I can't be his guardian. Well, your brother provided for your nephew's upkeep. I think the idea was that you would relocate. Relocate to where? Well, if you yeah. look, it was my impression that you'd spent a lot of time here. I'm just a backup. Lee, nobody can appreciate what you've been through. And if you really feel you can't take this on, you know, that's your right. Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. And this is episode three for the week of February the 2nd, 2017. And uh, thank you for joining our podcast. This is the last movie podcast ever. Uh, we're about 10 years late to the game, right, Adam? It seems that way. And uh, we're excited to be with you. And so um, you might be asking yourself, what is the Film Coterie? We are a, well, I don't know, weekly kind of podcast, whatever. We're a movie podcast. We're a film podcast. Yeah, we get together, we see movies every Thursday, we review the movie we see, and we also talk about movies that we've seen in the past. We have a few fun segments to get into. Absolutely. And so our first kind of opening segment, we're going to talk about just kind of what's, you know, what's happening, what's, what's been happening the last week of film, what's news and what's noteworthy and, you know, what are we, what's happening, guys? Has, has anything been happening this week in film? Yeah. I'm excited. Matt is excited. If you've been to our website, <laughs> I'm excited that he's written an article about Dune. Oh, boy. Hit us up, Matt. Now, Roger, you know me. I do know you. How many have you read Dune? I have read the first novel. <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> Adam, have you read Dune? I've never picked up a copy in my life. I have three copies at my house. Anytime you, you would like to come over and borrow one of those, you're more than welcome. Um, but, um, yeah, I wrote an article. So, for those of you that don't know, Legendary bought the rights to Dune, uh, both film and TV, uh, in awesome. 2016, November-ish, October-ish, sometime. Yeah, right at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, so uh, there were rumors um, about who they would get to direct it, and those rumors were confirmed on January the 30th. And it is, I'm going to screw up his name. Is it uh, Dennis Villeneuve? Denis. Denis. See, <laughs> you add in, was he French-Canadian? Yeah, he's French-Canadian. Yeah, there we go. D I should have known that. We've had goaltenders, Mark Denis. Denis Villeneuve. Yes. Uh, and so why should we, Matt, be excited that Denis Villeneuve is directing the episode, or the next movie, Doom? Well... Essentially, so he directed Enemy in 2013, which was awesome. Um, he directed Sicario, which if you haven't seen Sicario, go check it out. Uh, it's very good. Uh, and he directed Arrival, which is, that's the kicker for me right there. And don't forget Prisoners. Prisoners <coughs> yes. is really good. Yes, and, and Arrival, 
If he directed Arrival, that's all I need to know. Yeah. I, I'm down with that because I loved it. was my number two movie of the year last year. And don't forget, this fall he's giving us Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm... Okay, yeah. my head's about to explode. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's so awesome. This is the best possible outcome in the situation for any director for Dune. Yeah, yeah, because you're taking you're taking a story that is some consider it like myself to be the best work of science fiction done, but it's had a really rough history of being adapted to film or to the miniseries that were on the Sci-Fi Channel. It just hasn't really worked for whatever reason, um, and now you're taking a guy who was able to take a short story about alien linguistics and turn it into a film that got eight Academy Award nominations. <laughs> so I am super pumped about it. Anybody else have anything? Uh, ben Affleck dropped out of Batman. Well, he's still Batman. He's just not I directing. Know. I know. I, I heard that, Adam. I is the, okay, here's the deal. That just I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know. There we are. Now he's, you know, is that good or bad? We don't know. I mean, it depends who gets into the director's chair. A lot of people are worrying it's going to be Zack Snyder because, well. Well, they, I, I, tell, I won't go see it. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'll, I'll skip. If, if, if Snyder's don't Batman, I will not go see it. Aren't you going to wait to make your opinion before Justice League? You're going to watch that first and then make your decision? Maybe. Adam, don't be the voice of reason. <laughs> no, I'm not a Zack Snyder fan. I don't know who's going to jump in the chair. I mean, fanboys are out there and saying everyone from Scorsese to Fincher. I mean, it's just unrealistic at this point. I am. Uh, I, it, it makes me nervous. I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm not a massive Ben Affleck fan. Okay. Just let me get this out of the way. However, I think that he has respect for Batman. Yeah, yeah, I think he does. I, yeah. So when they when he is removed or removes himself, that makes me wonder if the studio was pushing it in a certain direction that he doesn't feel comfortable directing or doesn't like the story See, that, or that something. See, that was my that's, that, my... that's what yes. freaks me out a little bit. There's been so many reports because we're getting closer and closer to the release date, and they're going to stick to these release dates. They want these movies out on time. Every studio does. And Ben has not been happy with the script. There's, he's happy with the script. He's not happy with the script. The script's terrible. It's all over the place. And I think they're just tired of him dragging his feet. Oh, man, I tell you. I just, I want, I want DC and I want them to be successful. I want that franchise to go. I want good movies. They just sent the Flash for a page one rewrite. Nothing's going good over there right now. And Ben did lose him $75 million on Live By Night. Yeah, it's ugly. Let's just face it. In the DC world, it's just flat ugly. Well, they just haven't had that, the cohesiveness that Marvel has. There's no name running it. I no. mean, when you look at the studio, you know, Kevin Fahey over at Marvel's handling everything. I don't know who's in charge of DC. It should be Jeff Johns, but I don't know that it is. Anything else? Uh, on a sad note, we did lose John Hurt last week. We did, we did. And just looking at his IMDb page, he has 204, 206 acting credits. And, and what's crazy is I'm looking at it here as well, and it's like he's got like four in post-production that's still to come, you know. Yeah. 
you know, it's just, yeah, it's just sad, man. I mean, it just seems like every time we're turning around, we're losing a great actor, you know? Well, 2016 was rough, and so far 2017 may be starting out rough, too. Yeah. I got to tell you, I was looking over John Hurt's IMDb. I will tell you, I, I have not seen a lot of the stuff he's done. However, he was always, <coughs> excuse me, one of those actors that such a recognizable voice, right? Oh, yeah. So my wife would make me watch stuff I didn't want to watch on Netflix, say like the M- British Merlin TV show. First oh, yeah. time you hear the dragon yep. talk, I'm like, that's John Hurt. Yep. And it just, he would always pop up in surprising play because he would do anything almost. Yeah, and I last saw him in Jackie. He plays a small role in this movie as a priest that talks to Jackie after Jack dies. Tiny role, but he's just good in that. I mean, he nails it. Yeah, and it's like, you know, with his career being so long and so many, you know, movies that he's done, it's like he didn't, he just kind of took parts he liked, you know, work for a few days and then, you know, chill out kind of deal, you know, so. Yeah, he's, he's going to be missed, you know. Um, I'm looking down through here, and I mean, good day. Harry, he was in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. I had forgotten that, you know. Um, I mean, Outlander. He, I mean, Indiana Jones. He was Professor Oxley. One thing I always thought was cool is I knew he was in 1984. He plays the hero, Winston Smith. Yeah. Fighting against Big Brother, you know, the face yep. on the screen. When I saw V for Vendetta, I didn't even know John Hurt was in it. <laughs> And I just thought it was such a nice, cool thing that Wachowski's got him in there to be the big face on the screen. He's suddenly the government. Yeah, yeah. Com- a complete reversal. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. I grew up watching reruns oh, yeah. of, of uh, like Baker's Doctor when I was a kid instead of cartoons on Saturday morning. <laughs> and the fact that he comes in kind of out of the blue and plays this doctor you never knew existed blew me away. I thought he was great in it. I thought his scenes with, like, Tennant and uh, Matt, Matt Smith. Matt Smith, yes, were awesome. Spot when on. Was, when he was making fun of them. It, it was just great. Yeah, awesome. So rest in peace. You know, we're going to miss you, buddy. Yeah, he left us a great legacy. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I guess, what other things, news and notes, anything noteworthy? We do want to give a shout-out to our guest blogger, Erin Marshall. She um, – uh, uh, did a did a guest um, blog on our website this week, and so she did Hidden Figures, reviewed the movie, and uh, that got us actually some pretty positive buzz. So that's yeah, the great. Web traffic was great. We need more guest reviewers. I, I'm telling you. So, um, all right. Well, if hold, that, on, hold on, hold on, one second wait, okay. before we oh, move away from oh, her. Yes, go. Where can you find her, Roger? That's a great question. Mainly on Facebook. Uh, that's the best place to reach her. She also has a, her blog is under an elm tree dot blog, and it's a WordPress blog. So it might be, oh, this is terrible. I see. I should have been more prepared. It's, I know. As I was, I was trying to look it up, it's but either, you were moving along I think pretty it's, quick. It's, it's under an elm tree dot WordPress dot blog, I think, or dot com, one of the two. Is where she writes at. So. Hold on a second, because I know you put a link to her thing on our webpage on the... All right, well, Matt's looking for that. I'll say I have a few nibbles for guest reviewers, but if you have an interest in writing something for us, uh, just shoot us an email, write up the review, send it to filmcoterie at gmail.com, and there's a good chance you'll be a guest reviewer. <coughs> we'll shout out your blog. We'll give you a notice on where you are on Twitter. Absolutely. Okay, I'm looking at here under... Oh, Roger, I typed in Ron, typed in under the... This is just wonderful. Yeah. So it's under an elm tree. An elm tree. Yeah. Under an elm tree. 
.wordpress.com. That's it. Yep, you got it. So under an elm tree.wordpress.com. Thanks, Aaron. It was know, a struggle, but we got there. I know we totally screwed up your our thank you to you, but thanks a lot for doing the guest uh, the guest blog for us. And like Adam said, please we we submit some others. We'd like to make this a expanded coterie of film uh, stuff here. So uh, other stuff, news and noteworthy. Anything else? Did you guys? I know we've got a lot of films we want to talk about in our our spotlight review for tonight. Uh, the Thursday night movie, but anything else before we move on? Uh, not for me. All right. No, I don't have anything. All right, let's jump into our Thursday night review. And welcome back. And it's time for a Thursday night movie. And our movie this week was the uh, a movie that's been how many? I don't know. It's, it's received several uh, Academy uh, nominations. I don't know how many for sure, but it's Manchester by the Sea. And let me let me just kind of do a little give you the IMD snippet of Manchester by the Sea. Uh, Lee Chandler is a brooding, irritable loner who works as a handyman for a Boston apartment block. One damp winter day, he gets a call summoning him to his hometown north of the city. His brother's heart has given out suddenly, and he's been named guardian to his 16-year-old nephew. And uh, let's just say it goes on from there, and he has to confront tragedy uh, and the past. And, um, wow, directed by Kenneth Lonergan, is that correct? Lonergan? You got me. I, I mean, don't know. close enough. Yeah. Uh, he's mostly known as a writer. I did some uh, research on him. Uh, he was a writer on the comedy Analyze This and also was a writer on uh, Gangs of New York. Uh, he wrote this as well and directed it. stars Casey Affleck. Uh, uh, Affleck was nominated for an Academy Award and a Golden Globe and a Screen Actors Guild Award for his performance in the character drama The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. So this isn't his first uh, go around, but he's still kind of an up and coming actor, but also a uh, star performance for him. Also stars Michelle Williams, um, and she's got a bunch of movies to her credit as well, too. Um, Kyle Chandler stars in this as well. Um, good cast, uh, interesting. This kind of, it's a fresh take for us. We literally, literally just spent two and a half hours with Manchester by the Sea. And we drove over to the office here to record the podcast. So I'll just throw it out to you guys. What are your initial uh, impressions? Um, I know this was the second viewing for you, Adam. Yeah, I can start out the conversation. This is the second time I've seen it. It's been nominated for six awards. I just looked real quick. And this is the first time an Amazon Studios picture has been nominated. So it's their first chance to get an Oscar here. Now, now I, I wondered about that when I saw the opening crawl, and it was in Amazon Studios. Is this actually produced by them, or is this something they bought at Sundance and then they're releasing? This is what they bought it at a festival. Okay, I, that's what I thought. There's, there's so so Amazon Amazon's not technically making movies now. They might be, but they're they're buying movies. They okay, just, they just bought two or three at Sundance. Because I thought, and I well, you and I had talked about that earlier in the week how uh, Netflix and Amazon had been bidding, you know, tens of millions of dollars and paying for these movies to release in the theater. You know. Yeah, so. they dropped twelve million on the big sick at Sundance this year. Wow. So so anyway, Manchester by the Sea. Uh, what did you guys think? What was your reaction to the movie? 
I talked about it a little bit in my top 10. It, it cracked my top 10. And I think this is a really good movie about grief, both in the past and what the characters are going through now. That's really the central theme here. Yeah, you know, there's. Uh, I didn't know what to expect going into this. I, I had heard, you know, I, I had heard it's not, you know, it's a sad movie. You know, like you said, a, guy, a young man that's dealing with grief the only way he knows how and horrible grief in two dimensions, the loss of, uh, you know, I don't know how much spoilers do we get into in the. We can movie? get into a little bit here. I think we should. So I, you know, just a word to the warning. We're going to kind of get into a little bit of spoiler territory, not try to too much, but, um, yeah. But anyway, so he's dealing. You know, you know, he's dealing with his name is Lee, and he's dealing with grief from a personal, you know, his immediate family, and then also his brother, which is, you know, immediate, immediate extended family. And I think this is a clever part of the script. We learn about the brother in reverse. When he dies, we know nothing about him. Right. And, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a, a great way to – I really liked the way they told the story, you know. I liked the way that it he unpacked it. It's like he, he, he the movie opens, so it's not like it's this big secret they keep to the end. The movie just opens cold with – Okay, you know, you here's this tragedy, and you see this guy all alone, and he slowly unpacks how he got to be alone and the grief that he's dealing with. And I have to say the thing that jumped out to me immediately was how much I chuckled in this movie. Oh, yeah, it's funny. It's surprisingly funny. It really is. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here thinking, I should be really, you know, this is, everybody's saying how much of a kind of a, sad movie this is and, he, and it is sad it's very sad and it's and it pulls on your heartstrings you know but I, they would turn right around and i would just be chuckling and laughing and you know well it's human nature we laugh at funerals yeah i absolutely what'd you think matt do you have any what's your thoughts all right so this is my first viewing um couple things the ending was refreshing in the sense that it didn't guide you to the ending it wanted you to have, if that makes sense. Sure. So we kind of left it open-ended of, <laughs> you know, is Lee going to be able to repair himself from an emotional standpoint to do what you kind of root for him to do? Or is he not going to be able to do that? And he just leaves it up in the air for you. So you have no idea what's going on. Um, I this film definitely would have cracked my top 10. I think, I think it was a, a really good film. Um, I've been a Casey Affleck fan for a while. Um, and he does a remarkable job in this movie. I, I mean, remarkable down to, there's a scene where they're having the funeral, um, and people are coming up to hug him and he doesn't say a word and it's very subtle, but his eyes say so much in I, that scene that was the one thing i was going to bring up in this podcast was well, i mean yeah. people were coming up to hug him and just the way he would look at them and who he would look at and how he would look at them or look away from them oh it's powerful unbelievable so one thing i noticed in the second viewing is you probably heard this a lot of screenwriters are told show don't tell try to cut out exposition everything else i don't think anything's explained in this movie they show us everything yeah. There's no character that'll sit down another character and say, oh, well, you know what happened to Lee, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that was the exact scene I was going to bring. There was one scene, you know, that 
Casey Affleck does such a good job that you don't think you never see him acting in the movie. He is just playing. He is that person, you know, and it's such a brilliant performance. I thought the exact same scene I wanted to mention was the way he used his eyes and the emotion on his face. Uh, the other scene that he, he, he there, a hundred little subtle things he would do all during this movie. That was great. It just the, the scene that got me the hardest was when he was back over at George and his wife's house after the funeral and this and some time had passed. And there's a scene where he puts his head down on George's wife and he just starts crying. Well, that's the character. He doesn't reach out for help. He's very no. self-damaging. Yeah. And, and it's like when, when she puts her arm around him, at first she's kind of like, because he's really awkward to be around because he processes grief in his own way, you know? And so socially, you know, people try to put on this face and he really don't put on no face. He's just who he is. This is just how he's dealing and getting through life. He's not trying to be super sad, but yet he's horribly stricken, you know, and he'll perk up and say something and be, you know, I'm just blown away. I know this is a hot take and I need more time to process this whole movie, but I was it's definitely would be in my top 10, probably my top five. I'm going to be honest with you. And I just was blown away by Casey Affleck's performance in this movie. All right. So um, in my opinion, it's a good movie, but I don't think the movie isn't without its faults. Okay. And here's mine, at least from my point of view. All right. So I get that this is kind of looking at Casey Affleck's character, how he deals with grief and things like that. But as the movie was going along, I just felt like it became too myopic in its focus, right? Because you have a teenage son who just lost his father that it's never like that. It just was never there for me. And there was one scene where he didn't want his – they couldn't dig a grave because it was so cold. They were going to have to stick him in a freezer, and he breaks down for all of, I don't know, maybe two minutes on screen, and that was it. And otherwise, he was just going about life. And and I understand people deal and process grief in different ways, and maybe they just wanted that for the juxtaposition to how Casey did it, but, it, but that whole part got lost <coughs> because it was around that time that you, it like starts revealing why – Casey is how he is now, his character Lee. And I, I, it just got lost to me. I mean, they could have used almost anything to get him back in that town to start reliving it. I don't, you know, instead of having this other tragic event that just kind of gets moved away. Well, the focus is definitely on Lee as the character. The camera always follows him. I mean, it, there's hardly a scene without him in it, really. Right. It goes wherever he goes. And I thought that was a brilliant scene where – uh, the nephew finally breaks down at the fridge because he hasn't broken down until this point. And that's yeah. that's true in a lot of grief. Something weird like that can just hit you out of nowhere, I, and it feels I, I, like a panic attack. I have attack. to tell you, I really thought that the teenage boy, I thought his performance was amazing. And and and, and I guess I, I totally see I see your point about the focus being so heavily on, on Lee or Casey Affleck. But the boy had all of this around him, all of this social structure, family, friends. He had all that support around him. And so 
in one sense, he's much more adjust, able to adjust to that, you know, even though it is his father and it's a horrible thing. But he had, and, and Casey had, and Lee had nobody in his life. No, no, he was completely alone, self-admittedly, I guess, or intensely for himself. And so I don't know, I don't know, I, I see what you're saying, but I, I didn't get that from the film, that it, you know, went, it went too far into just about Casey and what about, what about the well, other people around I, I'm him? I'm not saying it went too far into Casey. Like, I'm saying I would have been satisfied with almost anything to get him back to Manchester. You mean Lee's character? Yeah, Lee's character. I, I would have been if I mean it could have been anything <laughs> but to get could, him back but, there. But, but think about it, though. He couldn't come back to Manchester. He could not. The, he, everywhere he went, he was that guy. Oh, that Lee. Oh him. Oh, oh. I don't want ever want him back here in this. I mean, I, you know, everywhere, every everywhere he went, it was like he couldn't escape the ghost of his. <clears throat> this is the guy that. I'm just going to say it, spoiler alert here, you know, but this is the guy that murdered his children because he was out on a bender. You, you know what I'm saying? That I, I, at least I felt that stigma. No, you're you absolutely saying? right. Yeah. That, he, he, that weight and that stigma of, oh, he was out partying and then he started a fire. And, and he's, he's and all, you, know, you know how smaller towns are and the talk and all this? And he just said, what was the line he said at the end of the movie? I can't beat it. Is yeah, that, he says, I can't beat it. I can't beat it. And he just could not come back to Manchester. His, it, it, and that 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 realism for me was so powerful in this movie. And I think the plot device of having his brother die so he comes back is important because Lee at the start of the film is a man with no future. He is, he, I mean, it's just day-by-day day existence for him. Absolutely. But at the end of the film, I, he has a future because he's actually buying a different place. I think it's a very key change for him. He's thinking ahead, and he's yeah. never done that. But, but I'll tell you this. I mean... It, as I talked about, the, the ending is open, right? Um, and this may give insight into me as a person, but I want him to go back to Boston. I want him to buy a one room, and I want him to go back to what he was doing. Be- because <laughs> if it were me, I could never forgive myself either. Like, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I hear what you're saying. <clears throat> I love the fact that every time he goes out to a bar, he gets in a fight just so someone can beat him up. Yeah, he wants to be punished. That scene in the police station is yep. brutal. Oh, oh, that is. Because oh. I would have, I think I would be him, right? I mean, you know, I think this movie is supposed to hit people in different ways. And me, you know, if I was in his shoes, I would probably end up being him, being a janitor somewhere, living in a one room hole, and just feeling that I deserve that. And I would probably live out the rest of my life like that. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, and it's great that he does leave it open in the end. You don't know what the long-term future, but you see some light. Okay, he's moving out of that that hole in the basement he was living in, and he's going to, you know, uh, a nicer apartment maybe, a smaller. You know, he's not doing four buildings. He's just going to do two, so maybe he can spend more time with his with his nephew. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in my top ten review, I said that when this movie goes for your heart, it swings at your heart with a sledgehammer. Did you guys feel that when you saw what happened to his family? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it hits you hard. I mean, it's... <sighs> well, see, for me, it just made me go, all right, I get him now. I understand it. I get it. Like, I, I would do this... I mean, I would probably put myself through that same thing. So... Something I picked up, too, in the second viewing. Um, we all know 16-year-olds can be a little bit self-centered. 
But the fact is, I caught this time, I think the teenager has a revelation. It's after he's seen his uncle cut his hand. Yeah. It's after he's seen him in the bar fight. He's upstairs, and he looks at the three pictures that you never see, really. They're yeah. just on his nightstand. Yeah. And he, he finally figures out what's going on with him. Oh, yeah. And then he walks. He immediately walks back downstairs and asks you know, his uncle... You know, can I get you anything? Can I do anything? And I think he understands, oh, my goodness, he can't be here because every second here he's reminded of what he's lost. Yeah, that's a moment when you actually see the puzzle pieces go together, and at least his understanding of his yeah. uncle. So what did you guys think of Michelle Williams and her, her role of the film? She's in four scenes? She's not in it a lot. No, she's not. But, man, that last scene, that's <laughs> why she's up for an Academy Award, I believe, right? Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. I, I love the way that they handled that, though, right? Because, I mean, that's a lot of films have delved into this. All right, you have a couple. They lose children or a child or whatever, and they can't stay together, and there's animosity between them. I love that this movie never shows that scene. It never shows her blowing up at him. You only <coughs> see that aftermath of it. And she, you know, re, you know, as time has passed, she's come to terms with it and is apologizing for the way she has acted. Yeah. But it's just, you know, and it's almost so painful. like too little, too late. It's, at so, that point. it's so painful that Lee can't go there. He just can't even open oh, that yeah. wound yet. He can't even, and you know, however many years has passed since that's happened, he just can't go there. But she, she has to, she's carrying as much weight as he is. She's just able to put up this face in front of the world and say, hey, you know, I'm readjusting until she encounters him. And then she makes a comment. She says, she says, I see you walking around town and I know what you know. And she still loves him. She, I mean, she just, she can't. The heartbreaking part of that oh. scene is she looks at him and she says, you can't just die. I know. Because that's what she thinks he's doing. Just yeah. fading away as a ghost. Yeah. I can see she's up for supporting actor, actress, yeah, right? Yeah, she is. Yeah, I, I can see why. I mean, it's a powerful that one scene is a pretty powerful scene. Uh, and, and and isn't it nice to go to a movie where the where the director thinks the people watching it might actually have some intelligence, yeah, and not have to be force fed every single like you said. There's no exposition in this. Exactly, movie. it's like you get it. We know this is life. This is. You know, we've seen people hurt, affected by death and tragedy and these things. And it's like, wow, this is great. A director that actually gets it and treats us that way, you know? I don't know. I, I, I like that a lot. No, it was good. I, I really liked it. Like I said, it would definitely be in my top 10 of 2016. Awesome. So, so the question is now, I mean, Casey Affleck's up for the Academy Award. He's against Andrew Garfield, Ryan Gosling, Denzel, and Viggo Mortensen. Do you think he gets it? I think he beats Vigo. I mean, I've seen Captain Fantastic. To me, yeah. there is... R I appreciate Vigo's performance in Captain Fantastic. It pales in comparison to what I just watched from Casey Affleck. I, I mean, it just... To me, they're, that's two separate categories right there. I, I would agree. I think he's, it's, he's a lock. I can't see... I, you know, I did, I did discover something interesting about the Academy Awards. I'm not trying to sidetrack us, but I never knew this up until now. There are like 7,000 members of the Academy, uh, the Academy, right? But I didn't know that only certain members can vote for certain categories. In other words, if you are an actor, you can only vote on the best actor and nominate best actor. You can't, you can't vote for director. You can't vote for motion picture. You're limited. What about actress? 
or actress. Yes, I mean you. Can, so an actor can vote for an actress and an actor. Yeah. All right. I just want to make sure it only, wasn't only only the cinematographers can to, can nominate and direct other cinematographers only and and so that you know I, I was listening I was actually listening to Leonard Malton's podcast and he was talking about how he is a a press member and then they get to vote on certain areas of the film but it's it's unique because if somebody got nominated. You know, like it, it, you always see these movies that win best special effects. You know, well, it's the special effects people in the Academy that nominate those. I, I don't know. Maybe you guys all knew that, but I didn't, I never knew that until now. So, it brought it back. I, I'd heard that a while ago, but I hadn't remembered it till you brought it up. Yeah. And so, with that being said, I, I to me, Casey Affleck is a shoe in. I can't I can't see how anybody else can win best actor besides him. But they vote for a reason, yeah, right? I think it's his this year. Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen all the performances that are up, but I will say I find it hard pressed that someone did a better job than Casey Affleck. Yeah, well, you have that your was nom- amazing. I guess your nominations are Best Director and Screenplay for Lonergan, Best Actor Affleck, Best Supporting Actress Williams, and Best Supporting Actor for Lucas Hedges. Now, which one did he play? He must have been the nephew. The nephew? Yeah. Okay, let me look. Yeah. I'm going to look it up here just to make sure, but yeah, Lucas. No, he did. A, he, I think he did a great job in it as well. Like I said, I don't have an issue. I just have an issue that that wasn't explored a little bit more. Do I think the fact that his brother yeah, died? He played, yeah, he played Patrick. And brought him back. And the <coughs> responsibility of being a guardian to a relative wasn't enough to bring him out of his fight, I, I, I thought was great. Yeah, I, 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 I totally hear you there. So, so Manchester by the Sea, is that all three of us? Are, would, would you recommend this movie to your friends? And the qualifications, you have to recommend it without reservation. Oh, does this mean I would recommend it to any, any of my friends? Yeah, just in general. What about said, my friends that may have been diagnosed with clinical depression? I'm just saying generally, let's just say someone comes up to you, a stranger. Folks, this is the kind of conversations we have off the air. It's getting too technical. (laughs) A stranger comes up to you and said, hey, Matt, is Manchester by the Sea a good movie? Yes. Yes. I I unequivocally recommend this movie. Mm, I make three. So there it is. Another TFC recommends. We'll put it up on the website. Awesome. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Film Coterie. Welcome back to the Film Coterie. This is a brand new segment that I've brainstormed called Decade Do-Over. And I don't know if this is a good idea, bad idea. We're about to find out. Yeah, only one way to find out. So the idea for this segment is that we are going to revisit the 90s. Only because we love time travel. We love time travel, and no one is doing any retrospective of 90s movies. That's right. 80s, 70s, sure. 90s, not a soul. They did make movies in the 90s, right? Yeah, a couple. Okay, just making sure. So, we're going to start all the way back in 1990. So, what the assignment was is that each of us was going to look at every single movie released in the year and pick a movie either to rewatch it and see what we think now or maybe visit a movie for the first time. I wish I hadn't. 
<laughs> Not all of us made great choices. I did all right. How about yeah. you, Roger? I did good, I think, with my choice. Okay. I chose poorly. Well, maybe we'll save you for last. We'll, we'll save start. you for last. Uh, we'll save you for last. We'll start on a high note. Let me uh, play you a snippet from the soundtrack for the movie I picked, because I think it'll take you right back to the 90s. There's no more 90s sound than this. Makes me want to break up my guitar. Yeah, did that take you back? <laughs> yes. All right. So for this series, I'm going to stick to horror movies because, yeah, it's what I love. There's a lot of interesting movies that came out in 1990. <gasps> That's cool. So here are some that I did not choose, but I'll, I'll just demonstrate that this was an interesting year for horror. We had Tremors, Nightbreed, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, Gremlins 2, Arachnophobia, the very legendary Troll 2. Roger, have you seen Troll 2? I have not, but I have seen Arachnophobia okay. and, and Tales from the Crypt. Have you seen Tremors with Kevin Bacon? No, sorry. Really? Okay, I, I'm I making a would, mental note. I wish I would have said yes. Making a mental note. <laughs> the Night of the Living I Dead remake. Lied. I should have lied. You should have. <laughs> Graveyard Shift. Uh, Frankenstein Unbound. Jacob's Ladder. Child's Play 2. Misery. You've seen Misery, I've right? seen Misery, okay. yes. And The Exorcist 3. <laughs> wow. wow. Legion. It had a subtitle, too. I'm so glad you have horror as your genre. Oh, I love this. I didn't choose any of these movies. I know. I chose the movie Hardware, which I don't think many people have seen. Have you ever heard I have of never, Hardware? I had never even heard of Hardware. And I will tell you, in 1990, I was had not reached the age of 17 yet. So that meant that if... I'm assuming hardware was rated R. Oh, yes. Um, there was no way in this world my parents <laughs> were going to let me see that movie. This came out in 90. Um, I didn't see it till it was on TV. I saw it on a premium channel in my bedroom. I had asked for a TV and VCR at some birthday in the middle school. I used to stay up all night watching horror movies whenever they came on HBO or whatever. And that's how I saw hardware. I've not seen it since then, but I had such a vivid memory of this movie. As soon as I saw it on the list... It's a creature feature about a killer robot hardware, okay. obviously. I could picture the robot, and I knew this color red was throughout the movie, and I had all these vivid memories of seeing this movie, so I had to watch it again. And it holds up. I'm surprised. I enjoyed it just as much now as I did when I was probably 12. So what's the premise of hardware? I've never seen it. What's the premise of hardware? So it takes place in the apocalypse after that, some kind of world war. Okay. Mad Max, think Wasteland. And a scavenger brings back, well, he's out there, and he, he finds a robot, just a head and an arm. All right. And his girlfriend lives in the city, and she's some kind of art creator. She's a sculptor. I don't know why we need sculptors in the post-apocalypse, but that's where she makes her money. Yep. St you still need art. Still All need right. art. So he brings it back for her. What he doesn't know is that this is a experimental model that's going to rebuild itself from all her spare parts that she's conveniently left in the apartment. And I love the design of the <clears> robot. I mean, you should Google hardware just to see this robot. He's a hunchback. He's got a, a, a skull that she paints like the American flag, red, white, and blue. He's got two arms. He's got buzzsaw things that come over the back. And nice. Drills. He's got venomous needles that give neurotoxins. 
and he just chases her around an apartment for the next 40 minutes. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Okay. So n- never having seen the movie, I just, uh, I, I did as you suggested. I just searched it up on Google, looked at images. And when you say this movie is red, <laughs> ev- every picture that I am looking at, every still from the movie, essentially uh, is just a red hue. Yeah. And this is before digital color grading. So they used to run film strips through actual dye. This movie looks like they ran it through a vat yeah. of Tabasco. Yeah, absolutely. So they had no choice, essentially. Once they made up their mind, they're like, we're making this movie red. It's From that point on, it was every scene is just going to be red. Even in the apartment. Like, I get when they're out in the wasteland, it's it's very, very red. They brought the wasteland <laughs> I mean, into the apartment. Their apartment's red. There's neon red, and there's no movie more red than this movie. I'll say that. I'm pretty confident. No, it's... Uh, yeah. I mean, every image that I'm looking at is is red. And I got a pop quiz for you guys. This movie stars Dylan McDermott. Yes. So I'm going to put up two pictures. One of them will be Dylan McDermott. The other one will be Dermot Mulroney. Oh, God. And you must tell me who Dylan McDermott is. So, Roger, I'm going to start with you. <coughs> is he the gentleman I've labeled A... Or the gentleman I've labeled B. One is Dylan McDermott. The other might be Dermot Melroney. Oh, God. We're looking for Dylan McDermott. We're looking for the guy who starred in the Hardware. Hardware. A I'm, or B. I'm going to say I'm going to say A. Okay. Matt, do you think Dylan McDermott is gentleman number A or gentleman number B? A. You guys both got it. Are you yeah, serious? That's, yeah. That's not Woo. even. All right. So. I just took a shot in the I, dark. I got to be honest with I you. I have seen all kinds of stuff with Dylan McDermott. And so and the other guy. You've seen junk. He's in Mozart and the He is. He is. But I, I mean, like that wasn't even going to. So my wife likes. Uh, I said total guess. I had no clue. Yeah. <laughs> I almost picked the B guy because he looked a little older, and I thought, well, 90 was a long time ago. So my wife, uh, you may or not know, forces me to watch crime procedurals on TV. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's when I <clears throat> want to shoot myself. But he was in dark blue, so I am now very familiar with Dylan okay. McDermott. Well, Roger, now you know this picture right here, Dylan McDermott. In any future movies that has either of these guys, I'm going to quiz you again. I'll, I'll I'll mess up. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so you so, liked it. It held up. Hardware held, held up, huh? I mean, I like creature features. <clears throat> you know, good monster. I like the design. And like I said, I saw this as probably a 12-year-old. And it, it really hit me for just such a unique movie. And very violent. Very, I don't I had a weird childhood. What do you want me to say? I love horror movies. And this one stuck out to me. So I was glad to revisit it. Even the special effects, they held up? Or are they cheesy? I mean, they're cheesy. It's a, it's a robot. And there's times you can tell that he can't move. He's just fixed in the scene. But, okay. well, I'll point this out, too. He's a desert robot. Ah. His weakness is water. So. Well, I would figure most robots that run off electricity, a weakness. I mean, that seems to be a general theme with robots in movies. Water, bad. He's super susceptible to water. <laughs> 
So the final fight takes place yeah. in a shower with the heroine, of course. They had a reason to get her in a shower. So. Ah, I gotcha. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. horror movies. You had to get the TNA scene in. Had to get the Guaranteed. <laughs> obligatory shot, you know. Absolutely. The screenwriter's like, how do we get it in? Ah, uh, shower, water. <laughs> awesome. Anything more about hardware? No, I'll pass the baton to whoever wants to jump in. Okay, I'll go next, because mine was probably the most mainstream. As soon as I saw this film was available, I was like, oh, I want to see that again. Mine was Goodfellas by Martin Scorsese. And um, I got to say, because it's a, a period piece, meaning it takes place over decades, you know, the, the, it starts in, I think, 53, and then it goes to 59, then 66, and then 70, all the way up to, like, 1980, it holds up really well. I mean, you know, and it's and it's shot on film, and and so um, it looked like a movie that could be shot today. You know, uh, I th- I thought it held up great. Uh, it's the it's the semi true story of Henry Hill, um, who grew up and went through the ranks of the gangsters. You know, of New York City, and uh, uh, him and his buddies pulled off a. At the time, the largest heist of cash ever from like Lufthansa Airline or some some big commercial airline had come into the city and they had robbed it. And at the time, was the largest uh, um, heist at the time. Great cast. Robert De Niro plays kind of the somewhat older mentor to um, uh, uh, Henry Hill and his buddy played by Joe Pesci. I can't remember his name, but you know, Joe Pesci and um, Ray Liotta grow up together. You know, they're both, when you first see them, they're both teenagers, you know, and then you see them as young adults. And, uh, and I got to tell you, even Pesci's performance is so good in this movie. I'm, I'm still, I know what's going to happen and I'm still getting kind of, you know, my, my I'm getting on the edge of my seat, and I'm like, oh, he's about to explode. Oh, <laughs> yes. he's, it's, and and I know, I know what he's going to do, and I'm like, and I'm still questioning, is he going to go off on this dude or not? You know, I mean, it's such a great performance by Pesci, and uh, I like the, I love the movie, liked it a lot. It, as with every Martin Scorsese film, it's too long. It's yeah. like. Two hours and 40 minutes or something. It could have been two hours easily. We're going to be saying that the rest of his career. Oh, man. The guy does not make short movies at all. Yeah, At this point in his career, who's going to go up to Scorsese and say, you know, uh, the movie's good, but I think you need to cut like 30, 45 minutes out of that thing. No one that's ever going to talk to him a second time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I liked the movie a lot. It came out in 1990. I didn't do a lot of research about the background to it or anything. How long ago did you last see it? I saw it in the theaters in 90. Okay, and you don't think you've seen it since then? Um, I might have caught, like, snippets of it on HBO or Showtime or something when it was, you know, just playing, but not to sit down and watch the whole movie. I had not seen it. Uh, this is a movie that I would like, to, like, if Kappa Summer Movie Series, if they decide to bring it back to the big screen, I would love to see this with a good film print, yeah. you know? Um I just think it's it shot it's shot wonderfully. Um, I love gangster movies anyway. I love mafia mob movies. You'll find out that a little bit later in my homework assignments for the week. Um, that's just I love that genre, you know. And um, I can't remember where the, I know I know this movie is way after like The Godfather and those movies, but some of the other um, gangster films that was kind of like a little time period where a lot of those kind of movies were coming out and Al Pacino was in those and De Niro was in those and Pesci 
you know, I, I think he plays about the same character in every one of these films. He plays the small, little, wiry fire. I'm going to, you know. And so, actually, to be honest with you, uh, there's another movie he did, does. I think he's it's Casino he's in, Pesci's in, I think, maybe, where he gets knocked off. He goes out into this field, and he realizes all these holes dug are for me, you know. And he starts, don't tell my mom and all this stuff. Make sure she's okay. And. And I thought, you know, it had been so long since I'd seen the movie. I thought that's the scene. I thought that was his death scene. And then I realized, you know, oh, they tell him he's going to be a made man. And they lead him into this basement. And bam, he, he, when, when the door opens and he's expecting to see all the other made men and it's empty, he's like, oh, man, you know. Um, I thought about trying to pull a trailer or a soundbite from the movie, but I'd had to... <laughs> We'd have to use the explicit tag because it is just part of the vernacular. The F-bomb is dropped every other word with these guys. I mean, it's just right in their vernacular. But I liked Goodfellas a lot. Um, I'm glad I went back and revisited it. You know, so I it holds up well. I think it holds up great. I think it could be, it could, uh, it could play on mainstream theaters right today, and folks would really uh, still dig it, I think. If it's on TV, you'll hear a lot of people calling each other melon farmers. Yeah. That's a code word the TV will cut for TV edits. Yep, absolutely. All right, Matt. Give all us right. your negative experience. <sighs> all right. So currently we're, we are in the probably the best time for comic book adaptations and superhero movies and things like that. So um, when I was looking at the list of movies that came out in 1990, I saw one that I'm sure somewhere along the way I have seen um, snippets of this movie on TV. Um, so I was like, all right, uh, let's go with that. <clears throat> kind of a superhero movie. And uh, so what I chose was uh, Dark Man, directed by Sam Raimi. Oh, God. <laughs> no. I'm a Sam Raimi fan. I've seen Dark Man. I am a Sam Raimi fan. And That's you came it. in my office earlier in the week and said, hey, I'm going to watch Dark Man. You can attest. I kept a straight face. You did. You absolutely did. I wish you would have said something. Oh the whole God, time I was looking at him, movie. and I'm thinking, you, that's a horrible movie. You poor, poor, you poor soul. Oh. oh, bless your heart. Foolish child. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, I did my little bit of research. I looked just real quick. I was like, so I went to Rotten Tomatoes just to check out, you know, what am I getting myself into? It's got an 83, 83% fresh. On you, Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, you can't trust Rotten Tomatoes that on older movies. is a lie. It is... I don't know who thought this movie was good. Um, I, I don't understand it. So, essentially... And, you know, looking at it... From the outside, you look at this and go, All right, directed by Sam Raimi. All right. Right? Raimi Brothers wrote the script for it with some help from other guys. The thing that tips me off on that, it's, it has one, two, three, four... Five, five writers on the screenplay. Probably not the best thing. Um, and uh, it starring Liam Neeson. I was like, Sam Raimi and Liam Neeson. This, all right, we're good. And I will mess up her name. Um, Francis McDormand. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you'll know her from Fargo, right? Um She's in it as Liam Neeson's love interest. Um, and this movie... I forgot Liam Neeson is in this Yeah, movie. Liam Neeson! Yeah. He's trying to forget he was in this oh movie. Oh my gosh. He, all right, so 
So essentially, the main premise for those of we you who have seen it, we might have to have like a Golden Turd Award or something uh, for the movie that we, we realized that was so bad. So, um, oh man, yes. So Liam Neeson's character is a scientist working on um, a skin, a plastic skin to help people, right? Burn victims or whatever it may be, and he can't get it to work. And his his girlfriend is an attorney that um, becomes privy to some information that could get her in trouble. And these gangsters come and blow up Lisa Neeson's work lab thinking they killed him. However, unbeknownst to them, Liam Neeson was merely shot 500 feet into the air and then landed in water. And did, did no problem. It's fine. It's all good. He got blown, set on fire, blown up 500 feet in the air and then landed in water. And he's fine. If you think the issue with Indiana Jones surviving a nuclear blast in a refrigerator is bad, this is just as bad as that. Um, but he's horribly disfigured. Horribly. Um, they find him, and he gets taken to this hospital where they essentially turn off all pain to his body. And, um, and they torture him. I mean, it's, they turn off all pain. And in the explanation, they say, as a result of this, the brain strives to feel something. So it just pumps you full of adrenaline. So you're super strong all the time. You don't feel pain. You're super strong. That's his origin story. Oh, absolutely. His origin story. <laughs> um, so he goes and f- kind of gets revenge on the gang that comes after him by using his fake skin to impersonate people or whatever. And there's this whole love interest thrown in there. And I got to tell you, the whole time I'm watching this, I'm yelling at Liam Neeson's character to go, why are you trying so hard to be with this woman? He asked her to marry him in the beginning. And she says, I don't know. I got to think about it. He puts he puts his fake skin on and has lunch with her and says, would you still love me if I was horribly disfigured? And she goes, I don't know. I need to think about it. But yet he's doing everything he can to get back with her. And I just want to say, dude, run, run away. That I didn't even care about. Raimi tries to do tricks he did in Evil Dead, like weird cutscenes, like where Liam Neeson gets mad and it flashes a bunch of stuff on the screen. It doesn't work with Liam Neeson. It doesn't work in this kind of genre. It, the magic ingredient is Bruce Campbell. It. Well, Bruce Campbell is in this movie. Right, but not in that way. No, he's in it for five, five seconds at the very end. But it just doesn't work with Liam Neeson. I, I, it, it's, it's bad. It's just, it's just bad. Um, don't go see it. <laughs> the whole plot for this movie is like someone got drunk and said, let's make a, vil- let's make a hero like Clayface, but tie in some Phantom of the Opera and make him dress like the Shadow. No, that's absolutely right. And the villain in this movie is such... I mean, it just falls into the tropes of bad guys, right? Smoking cigars, got a cigar cutter, <laughs> keeps fingers as trophies. It, it's just... It, it's just... It was It was painful. It was painful. I almost fell asleep. I watched it last night. Um, and literally had to force myself to stay awake so I could talk about it. <laughs> I really wish now that I had literally just let myself fall asleep and and you know cried mercy when i came in here but i watched the whole thing it was awful don't go see it the 90s may have had some good movies 
This was not one of them. <laughs> oh, man. So that's Decade Do-Over. We completed 1990. So the next time we do this segment, we'll be traveling forward a little bit in time to 1991. And hopefully that year will treat Matt better. It likely won't because I'll probably do something stupid again. But you know what? I mean, how do you know what you like if you don't know what you don't like? And I'm not going to guide you. I'm just going to watch whatever you pick. Hey, it's me, listen, it's a gut feeling. It's a gut feeling. This time, my gut sucker punched me. But, you know, such is life. And I forgot to add that Richard Stanley directed the movie I watched, Hardware. When we get to 96, I'm going to talk about his Island of Dr. Moreau with Kilmer and Brando. Because there are crazy stories about that movie, and I can't wait to share those. Oh, yes. And I can tell you right now, I have some serious stories about that movie. Because my wife and I were young married couple at the time and we stumbled into the movie theater and we said oh, let's let's go see this dr Allen moreau my wife still has not let me live that down <laughs> do you know anything that happened behind the scenes on that movie i can only imagine i can't wait to hear so uh i can't wait to get to 1996 oh, awesome. no this is just a tease richard stanley had a breakdown after three days and they fired him he vanished into the jungle literally just walked into the jungle and then he started coming back on the set wearing the monster outfits oh and sabotaging gosh. the film, allegedly. Oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. And that's nothing. I haven't even talked about Brando or, or Kilmer and what they were doing. Yeah. So a, maybe we should all watch Murrow when we get to 1996. I'm, you, I'm down for it. <laughs> we'll make that a spotlight review yeah. for the week. Huh? All right. So that's Decade Do-Over. Um, we'll be doing another one here shortly, probably in a couple episodes, and we'll hit 1991. Moving through time at a rapid pace, we are. <laughs> Faster than the 90s. Man, I love the 90s. Welcome back to the Film Coterie. Um, if you have listened to any of our previous podcasts, you know that um, we like to punish one another or, you know, help one another out, introduce them to something in a little segment we call Movie Homework. And essentially how it works is we all pick a movie for someone else to watch that maybe they haven't seen or in a genre they don't like or maybe it's a genre they do like. Uh, so we kind of divvy it up each week and pass them out. Um, so uh, last week... Roger assigned me a movie, um, Adam signed Roger a movie, and I assigned Adam a movie um, to watch. Uh, does any of you want to volunteer to go first? I'll go first. Go for it. <clears throat> okay, so Adam assigned me the movie The Invitation. And this was directly because you had assigned me Rope, which is a dinner party murder movie. Absolutely. It was done in 2015, and... Um, it's let me see who who it stars uh logan marshall green and uh, i don't a bunch of people i didn't know i'll just yeah. be honest with no, you that's fine. it was it's, directed it's by an ensemble cast um directed by karen kusam i i i like this movie i did I, I didn't think i would to be honest with you i tell you what i did i'm watching the movie and adam had told me he said now like in certain genres horror and different ones they always kind of do a little call out at the beginning of the movie, right? So there's a scene, there's this guy, and he's driving his car, you know, with his girlfriend, and they're going to a dinner party. Bam, he hits a deer, right? But the deer's not dead. 
And so you see the guy, what's he got to do? He's got to take the deer down. So he gets in his trunk, gets out his crowbar, and it doesn't show it, but you see the headlights on him, and it's like thump, 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 and the deer's dead. And I stopped the movie right there, and I texted Adam. Adam, what was that you said about what are the two things I need to look forward to? Well, I'd, I had warned Roger that horror movies will kill a child or a dog early to show you that they're not messing around. This was a coyote, I think. A coyote? Or I don't know what the rules on yes. coyotes are. Oh, my gosh. That's like, so I texted Adam. I'm like, so if the dude will kill a coyote in the opening scene, what is he capable of, capable of later in the movie, right? But I, I liked the invitation. It, it is... It had a sad undertone about grief and loss as I know, well. It's funny that we saw Manchester. It paired oh with that really well, too. I know. Here's a, here's a couple that lost their daughter. And because of that, they split up. And she went away. And he's not seen her for years. And he's moved on with his life and has a new girlfriend. And all of a sudden, he gets this real fancy invitation in the mail to this dinner party that his ex-wife is throwing. At their old house. At their old house. And so over the course, I, I don't know, I, do we do spoilers? Do I get? We can do a little bit here. You have to. Yeah. Over the course, he, he goes and shows up, and there's it's an ensemble cast, very similar to Rope. Somebody's missing at the beginning who should be there, very much like Rope. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is a Rope remake is what this is. But they, they put a little twist on it, you know, and it come to find out that they had gotten involved in this some type of new age cult that brought them to a level of empowerment where they had released all their emotions, even though she had just 30 seconds earlier slapped one of the, these guys. Well, so they're they, not perfect. So they're not perfect, but you know, and so they're trying to get them all to join this new age movement, this new philosophy of living and, you know, and it's freedom and release, and it's so awesome. And the whole time, the the the, the guy's like, you guys are full of horse crap. <laughs> well, one thing I like about this movie, it made me waver back and forth. Is he paranoid, or is there something weird going on here? Because it never really shows it. And you're thinking, is he really flipped out crazy, or is all these people crazy? And I, and I, just And just when you think he's figured it out, because the dude has not showed up, and he ha causes this huge scene at the dinner, yeah. right? Yeah. He's like, "Stop, stop! Don't do it. You know, you're you're murderer. You're, you're weird. I, I just got a text message. I just got a phone message that so and so was at the front door. Where's he at right now? And you're thinking, oh, he's blown the lid on all of them. Ding dong. You know, and you're like, oh man, I was at the front door and I got a call from work and I had to go back. And you're like, the dude is crazy, right? Though that's a great scene because I think. I don't think that guy has ever shown up in any other movie. The missing guy is always missing for a reason. Yes. And in this movie, the guy shows up and his excuse holds up. Yeah. And so you're just starting to think, well, maybe the dude's really just crazy. And then stuff gets real and you realize he's not crazy at all, you know? And I like about this movie, it could only happen in L.A. Only in L.A. Because of the crazy cult and everything else. You couldn't make this movie about Midwest. No, Minnesota, this movie ain't going to fly. They, this dinner party, they're not going to They're gonna be like, what? as soon as they roll that videotape, folks are heading to the cars and they're out well, of there. Just because we know L.A. is susceptible to any fad, new diet, new cult, whatever. It, it's a very local thing. I mean, this movie feels right at home in L.A. Yep. And can we talk about that last shot? Because I love the last the shot The last this movie. shot is great. Well, I thought it was odd that... This dude goes out and he lights a red lantern, a red, you know, like a little uh, candle thing. I thought, that's odd. And he goes back in. 
And then you see the effect of this cult. The closing shot is a pan over the hill, and there are red lights everywhere. Then you start hearing the sirens and all this stuff, and you're like, oh, man. Yeah. Stuff just really – so I, was, I thought it was a great ending. Great, great choice. I really enjoyed the movie. Well, later on in the month, we're probably going to go see a movie called XX. It's an anthology, uh, a couple horror movies, all female directors. Karin Kusama has a brand new short that's going to be in that. So I'm excited to see what else she's been doing. So that was my movie, The Invitation. Uh, I would encourage you. It's I think I saw it. It's on Netflix. Netflix is how I saw it, yeah. So check it out. Great, great movie homework assignment. I enjoyed it. Awesome, awesome. Um, Adam, I guess it's between me and you. All right, I'll go ahead and jump in. Oh, you're going to pan my movie. Well, we cheated a little bit. Normally, we do not talk about our movie assignments with each other ahead of time. Matt couldn't help himself, asked me a little bit, and I gave out a little sneak preview of what I thought. The movie he gave me was Gangster Number One. Um, you can't find this movie anywhere right now. Matt didn't <laughs> I, know I, did, I didn't know that. I apologize in advance. It's not available for rent on anything on iTunes. <laughs> it, it doesn't exist. I had to buy a physical DVD copy. There's not even a Blu-ray DVD. for this thing. DVD. It's from 2000. Yeah. Um, Gangster Number One is told really in two parts. You've... The Malcolm McDowell plays the gangster. He doesn't have a name. He's just the gangster. Yes. You see him in the modern era. Old man, boasting with all of his friends, successful career. Then it flashes back to show us him in, like, the 60s. Yeah, and kind of his rise to how he became what he was. So he's an enforcer, but he's a very brutal enforcer, almost to the level of a serial killer. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons I got it, right? Because – You know me. I like British gangster films. I know you like horror films. And this is kind of, it doesn't ride the line really, but I mean, how many British gangster films are literally about a serial killer? Right. No, none. I mean, it's unique. I'll give it that. I mean, it reminds me of if Dexter was an enforcer. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like. And Paul Bettany plays the young gangster. Yes. So we see sort of his rise. He's working under a boss. Um. And he gets some guilt because he watches the boss take a beating from another mob. Oh, I mean, his girlfriend gets her throat slashed. She survives, but he doesn't help out. He just watches. Then he goes and murders the other boss. And because of this, his boss gets fingered for the crime and goes to jail for a long time. Then we flash forward and we see Malcolm McDowell is uh, okay. kind of crazy. He's over the top, um, a lot different than the character he was in the 60s. He's very talkative. Yes. And you know this because he's been the narrator the whole movie. Yes. And the, the guy is, we jump forward to when his old boss is getting out of jail. And he's now a changed man. And the movie's playing up towards a confrontation between the two of them. And this is where it loses me. Uh, and I told Matt this already. It doesn't feel like a whole movie at okay. all. Because you just have these two time periods. You don't really see what happens in the middle. You don't see him become the boss. He's an enforcer. And then he's the boss. But he has a lot of guilt. He really has a death wish. He just wants to die. <laughs> you see that later. Malcolm McDowell's in his underwear screaming on a roof. What I found out is this movie's based on a play. It's a two-act play. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So there's no third act to this movie. It is literally just the two acts. And it's really missing a second <coughs> act, if you ask me. And I think that's where we lose the connective tissue here because I don't get the character. We've seen him as a young man. We see him as a crazy old man. We don't see how he gets there. It's missing the part where he's running this organization. 
where maybe he's having moments of guilt for what he did to the last boss. It's just not there. And that's what felt so strange to me. And I didn't put my finger on it right away. But the plot and just the movie framework was just kind of lacking. And it's short. It's 100 minutes. Yeah, it's not long. Yeah. But, all right, so when this came out, a lot of critics were kind of down on it because of the amount of violence in here. But there is a scene that's shot from the perspective of the person getting murdered. Yeah. And at least to me on watching that, that was a different way to approach one of their scenes, and I really appreciated that. Yeah. The other thing we talked about uh, briefly with Matt is it is strange that Malcolm McDowell's in this movie because all the other actors, when they jump forward in time, wear old age makeup. Mm. Paul Bettany plays the young gangster. Malcolm McDowell plays the old. So it's the only place you have an actor replacing another actor oh, in this movie. And we talked about mm. it because you thought maybe it was just the way he was envisioning himself in the past. Well, the way, the way I take it is, you know, it's like how big was that fish that you caught? Yeah. Whenever you tell a story about your rise to power and fame or, you know, your position, there's always embellishment that goes into it. You know, so when you look at Malcolm McDowell versus Bettany, Bettany's taller, Bettany's thinner, better looking, better looking, you know, and it's one of those things I viewed it as, you know, when he's telling this story, he's, he's embellishing and they're representing that without showing you he's embellish. I mean, without telling you he's embellishing, they show you he's embellishing by having this better looking, you know, person perform these acts. And I I thought about that and I looked to see (laughs) if the play did anything like that. And in the play, the gangster is the gangster, the whole movie, same actor. What he does is he stands off to the side, does his narration, and then jumps into the scenes he's in. So the actor just moves back and forth, and they do old age makeups. There was no two actors in the play. Okay, and I don't know if you really, maybe you mentioned this and I just didn't catch it, Matt, but so what was your reasoning behind your assignment of this to Adam, your thinking behind that? Well, well, mainly because I think I've asked Adam if he's seen this movie, like because I, I like this movie, right? I like it. I, I like it. Like if if I had to do like a top twenty British gangster film, it would be in my top twenty of that genre. Um, and I, I'm just a sucker for Malcolm McDowell movies. I don't know what to tell you. And normally I watch movies when people tell me to watch them. And Matt has told me for years to watch this movie, but in my defense, it's not available anywhere. No, it, no, it's not. And I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's great. I put it in my top 20. I don't know where it would hit within that. Uh, I've never sat down and tried to do up my list. Um, but it was one of the films that got me into it, and I like the way – I mean, it's pretty brutal film, but I like like the scene where they shoot it from the perspective of the guy dying. I thought that was – I mean, they were trying to do something a little bit different than just gore. I mean, because this thing is – I mean, it's pretty brutal for – what it is i guess and roger i'm going to say this is the anti-scorsese this needs 30 minutes put into it (laughs) this needs a second act (laughs) so i mean i would have liked it a lot more i like it but i can't recommend it just because i said it framework just feels off and it just feels like you're getting part of the story yeah and maybe was you said this was early in your british gangster filmography matt well i i mean i I mean is it one of those kind of like oh i I I mean it was it was made in 2000 right so um i was still in college at that point and I don't even know how I saw this. Uh, I mean, it was one of those things. I think it was a random night at a video store at Blockbuster. And I saw it have Malcolm McDowell in it and grabbed it and went from there. Um, 
And, you know, I think I think Bettany's performance in it is pretty good. And this is early Bettany. He hadn't really been in anything else. No, he he was, he's not a name. Malcolm McDowell is the only <laughs> name in this, which is my theory why he was the gangster. Because I think getting him in the movie to play the old gangster was the only way they got money. But, I mean, it also has – I mean, it has other people in it. So it has Professor Lupin. Oh, David Thewlis. <laughs> David Thewlis in it as well. So, I mean, there's some people not that may have not been that familiar to U.S. crowds. Right, and Saffron Burroughs plays the girlfriend of the gangster. She's in Mozart as the celloist. Mozart in the jungle. Yeah. So, I mean, it's got some decent cast. I think their performances were all right. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I agree with you. It probably needed a little bit more time in there. But I just, I like it. It holds a special place for me. Awesome. So. All right, so we're down to Matt's movie, which Roger assigned to him. Yes, so the movie... A new release. <laughs> a new release. <laughs> never, and, never from Roger. And by new, he means 1933. So before I get in my review of this, uh, the movie is Duck Soup. For those of you that don't know what Duck Soup is, it is a Marx Brother film. Um, so it was uh, the last Marx Brother film that had Zeppo in it. Uh, It was the last of the Marx Brothers films released by Paramount, and it is considered by most to be the pinnacle of Marx Brothers movies, so much so that in 1990, the United States Library of Congress deemed Duck Soup to be culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant and selected (laughs) it for preservation in the National Film Registry. Why do I say all that? To juxtapose it, against what I'm about ready to say about this movie. (laughs) So with all those accolades, you can probably throw out what I'm about to say is nothing more than the ramblings of a lunatic, but I was not a fan. Um, I had never seen a Marx Brother film, so take that for what you will. Sure. Um, So essentially, just to give you the plot of this movie... Um, it's not really the plot is yeah. There's I mean, not really the plot's much of like plot. secondary, but <laughs> just so people know, there was a company called Fredonia that lost its leader for some reason. Uh, a character by the name of Mrs. Uh, Teasdale decided that the best person for this was a gentleman by the name of Rufus T. Firefly, who was played by Groucho. Um, there are spies from an opposing uh, <laughs> neighboring country, Sylvania, that try to infiltrate those spies are played by chico and harpo um they infiltrate to the point that one of them gets made a minister in groucho's regime they actually have a war and then it ends um and that's that's the plot i mean granted it's i've never seen a marx brother film so i was looking for a plot there was none and that's fine um I just here's why I don't like it, right? So I've come to the conclusion that when I'm when looking at like this genre of these films, these comedy films, I like a straight guy, right? And there's really no straight guy in the Marx Brothers film. There are people who are not in on the joke, but there is no straight guy that kind of goes with the joke and reprimands the person making the joke. And the reason why I think that's important is I just think the Marx Brothers are jerks, plain and simple, right? So, uh, you know, in a straight guy, funny guy, you have the guy, you know, the guy making the jokes. You have the straight guy that's kind of reprimanding the funny guy. 
you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't do this. I mean, this film right from the beginning opens up with Groucho just lambasting this Mrs. Teasdale. And everyone, including her, is oblivious that he is literally just putting her down with every sentence that comes out of his mouth. I appreciate the fact that it's, you know, Groucho, you know, is known for being quick-witted and these one-liners. But to me, it just comes across as mean. And there's also a scene where the two spies are trying to get rid of a lemonade vendor that's outside of Groucho's palace. So the two spies, Chico and Harpo, go through this scene of trying to get rid of this, the lemonade salesman. And again, it just comes off as mean to me. Um, I didn't think it was that funny. Um, I just felt bad for the lemonade stand guy. Um, I didn't, it, it never, like, this is going to be bad. I really don't know if I laughed uh, the whole time because I was just like, this. these guys are just jerks. Um, so I know, I know this is not going to sit well with <laughs> a lot of people because, I mean, the Marx Brothers at that time frame, that was like the pinnacle of comedy. Um, it's just, it's not my cup of tea, Roger. Sure. I, I can, I can, yeah, I respect that totally. So I, 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 I just, um, I love it. I love the Marx Brothers and, uh, I consider that their funniest movie by far. I really, I, I knew I wanted to assign because I'm, what I'm doing in my assignments is I'm assigning different genres and different time periods through history of movies that I like. I own every Marx Brothers movie. Yeah. Um, I love what you would consider maybe them being jerks. Uh, I would consider that social commentary on the man, He's putting down the 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 aristocratic society and their pretentiousness and the industrial society and their pretentiousness. You know, there's a lot going on under the level that's I find very appealing about the Marx Brothers. I think they're very smart and witty in their humor, and I just love the goofiness of here's a war. And I don't know if you caught this or not. You probably did because it's pretty obvious, but. Every scene, there's like twelve costume changes. The scene changes. changes? Yeah. He, he, yeah, he puts on a different military. So he ends up in a Boy Scout outfit. There's a at whole one point. commentary on the military. Just, no, no, you're you right. See what I'm saying the, the the commentary on the war itself. I appreciated that was great, and I'm not going to say this movie wasn't without good scenes, right? So yeah, the mirror scene is phenomenal. Is great. <laughs> I I mean, I would recommend people. <laughs> maybe skip to that watch the mirror scene because when i started when i watched it i was like man this has to be like we're familiar with that kind of scene now yeah right never done before but that had never been done before this was the first instance of that mirror scene and for those of you don't know what i mean by a mirror scene so there's an opening and they come to it and one of the brothers is on one side the other one's on in the opening, and he just mirrors what the other and one does. Dressed exactly alike. Dressed exactly alike, so that he thinks he's looking into a mirror, and it was, it was great. Yeah. Now I will say this about Duck Soup, because I almost assigned horse feathers to you, which is my second favorite one. You don't get to see them play any music, and which is interesting because Chico is an amazing pianist, and uh, Harpo is a, plays the harp, and so their music is incredible, and it's just unbelievable to see them be these lovable buffoons that are making all this social commentary and then they go out of character when they sit at the piano and play and it's just like oh my gosh you know 
just kind of blows you away kind yeah, of deal. But in this one, there wasn't. There's none. There's they, they none. Don't, they don't do that. And I, they, they I, have, and they I have will say this. Singing I w- numbers, yeah, but there's, yeah, no I will music. Say, no, I will say this. And Zeppo usually is the straight man, but he never plays it. He never really kept calls them on their humor. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Margaret Dumont, this was, she did four or five movies with, with them, she's in all these movies, and, and that's Miss Teasdale. Yeah, she yeah. always plays the 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 aristocratic society, the upper echelons. The she always plays that, you know, my money and my prestige will get me whatever I want, and he that's why he's so harsh to her, kind of in that opening monologue. But uh, it, it's I, I, they're not for everybody. I, I totally understand, but you know what? I got I, I made you watch it, so I'm very happy about that. No, and 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 listen. <laughs> I I read the accolades that this movie received because my review, I mean, obviously is in the minority on this. So, sure, you know, but I think comedy is a, a pretty personal thing. Uh, it wasn't my cup of tea. It made me want to go watch, if I was going to watch something like this, go watch some Lauren Hardy, Abbott and Costello, something along those those lines. Sure. Um, but, um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm just not a big fan. It does sound like you're going to tell us that this is better than Dark Man. Oh, it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a bad week of movies, uh, at least for me. Um, I would say, at least based on what other people think of this movie, I would recommend Duck Soup over Dark Man. <laughs> and I have to pipe up from the horror desk over here and point out that in Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses in Devil's Rejects, all those characters are named after Mark's brother's characters. Yeah. They are. There's Rufus Captain Steve Firefly and Captain Spaulding. Oh, yeah, Captain Spaulding and Horse Feathers. Otis and, Driftwood. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I just love them. I've read a lot of the biographies. I've read Harpo Speaks, which is like a thousand-page <laughs> biography that he wrote. And there actually were five Mark's brothers. You know, Gummo was the fifth Mark's brother, and he did the vaudeville with him, you know. And so I just love the um, – I just love old movies. You know, what can I say? I love black and white, and I love old movies, and I love the Marx Brothers. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so it's time to hand out new assignments. It is. So this week, Roger, you are assigned Adam. So my pick for Adam is, of course, uh, this is a new, much newer movie that I'm going to assign to 40s, him. 40s. And since, uh, uh, since uh, Matt did a gangster uh, a movie, I thought I would just kind of flow right along with my favorite gangster movie of all time. And that's White Heat by James Cagney. So um, love that movie. And I'd just be interested to see how it holds up because I have all this nostalgia for old yeah. old movies. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see if it holds up, if you like it, if you don't like it. And if you hate it, that's great. I mean, I love that Matt was like, these guys are just mean. I don't. I just this humor is not for me, you know. And I'm actually excited to watch this. I knew Cagney was coming because you'd been texting me earlier in the week and asked me some movies, and I'd <laughs> well, seen I asked, some Cagney. Forty nine, forty nine new movies. I asked you if you'd seen Angels with the Dirty Faces. Yeah, and I've seen that. And one. then I was thinking, well, maybe I'll throw out a Cagney that, um, you know, uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy or one of the, his musicals that he did. Because in my opinion, I think James Cagney is the most overlooked actor in movie history. His range is unbelievable. He did a comedy called One Two Three that's hilarious. He can sing. He could dance. He played a gangster. I mean, name me an actor today that does that range of kind of work. There might you might come across somebody that does all that, but you'd be hard pressed, you know. So anyway, so White Heat is your homework assignment. All right. So I have Matt. Yes. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit. This movie will actually be available next week. Okay. Not out yet. All right. I'm giving you Nocturnal Animals. 
Already? Um, I really like this movie, and I'm, I'm curious to see your take on it. So it'll be out on iTunes next week. I would have watched that even, even without you. I know, but I want to have this discussion anyway. So Tom Ford directed it. Uh, Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal. So that's your I may song. watch that, too, because I want to see it. It's the, a good movie. I'll probably watch it just to chime in, but I, yeah, I'm glad. I have to mind. warn you about the opening. The opening is the only nudity in the movie, but it's the entire opening credits. A bunch of older, very large ladies dancing around. So I'm just preparing you ahead of time <laughs> that your loved ones may come in and say, what are you watching? I'm not intimidated by large and naked women. I'm just going to let you know. I'm just giving fair warning. All right. All right. All right. So that leaves me uh, to assign Roger. So, Roger, as as we've talked, you um, you are probably the only one of us that has taken a comparative religion course. Yes, uh, and and you don't mind watching westerns? No. All right. Uh, so I am going to assign to you, uh, and Adam may be able to help you out with watching this, uh, a movie called El Topo. If you don't know what El Topo is, it is the first midnight movie in the U.S. that played. It was John Lennon talked his manager into buying the rights of this. Dennis nice. Hopper was involved with getting it yeah. shown. 1970? Yeah. It, Roger, I just want to go ahead and tell you it's weird. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's weird. And uh, I love it. Like, I cannot... I, I, I like it. I like this it sounds familiar a lot. To me. You haven't seen it, Roger. It, Trust me. This isn't the one that has the big train scene in the end and all the shoot 'em up in it. Train scene? Is I don't think so. A train no. scene in the desert? Mm, a, no. A gunfighter with a naked child. A gunfighter with a naked child. How about this, Roger? Okay. Um, it's available on Amazon. I'll watch it. It's great. You can rent it for three ninety nine. Yep, I'm assuming. Absolutely. I think. Adam owns it. I don't. I've loaned it out so many times. I don't know if I ever got it back. Yeah, I'm excited. I don't have it, do I? No, but I know someone that might. All right. But not you. You don't have it. Well, I just realized I could buy it on iTunes, so I'm going to buy it on iTunes for twelve bucks. Uh, I have a poster of this movie in my house. So there you go, Roger. Oh, okay. El Topo. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast around Jodorowsky. Uh, I wouldn't mind that because if we get into Jodorowsky mode, then I'll just start signing everything else. The Holy Mountains, Santa Sangre. I, you yeah. know, yeah, it gets weird. I like it. Um, all righty, but that's it. That's the movie homework. Uh, so yeah, so we'll watch it this week and come back and let you know what we think. Okay, it's time for our last segment, and that's just simply our coming attractions and closing remarks and all that good stuff. Uh, what's wh- What do our listeners have to look forward to, Adam, this coming week? Uh, John Wick 2 comes out. Nice. That'll be our Thursday night movie. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. And I will have to censor myself because the word of mouth is really good at this point. Some people have seen the movie this week. Um, my first hot take might just be me losing my mind and swearing, hopefully, that this is so great. Because <laughs> that's how I was when I walked out of John Wick 1 when I saw it at Fantastic Fest. I mean, it blew my mind. I am I am super pumped. Um, John, I love John Wick. I, I called up my dad, asked him to drive two and a half hours 
to come watch John Wick because I knew he would like it. And he did. My mom, on the other hand, hated it. But, you know, it, it was John Wick. They're actually debating. The people that have seen it are actually having the debate if the second one is better than the first, which is so rare for a sequel. That's high praise. We'll also be discussing some movies inspired by John Wick that exceeded our expectations. So we're yes. going to go back through and think about maybe movies we've seen in the past that did blow our minds. I think everybody has those one or two, three movies that you're like, I was blown away by that movie. I can't believe that really exceeded what I what I was expecting. Yeah. 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 And I think it all spawns, you know, I had heard about John Wick when I heard Keanu Shooter. I was like, yeah, I like Keanu. Um, I like shooters, but it didn't really get me going. And then I started hearing the buzz and then watched it. And I was, I was so happily surprised. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and steal the spotlight for a second. Go for it. There's a movie that I saw two years ago at Fantastic Fest that has not been released in the U.S. I don't know who holds the rights. No one has bought distribution as far as I know. The movie's called Liza the Fox Fairy. It's a Hungarian film, and I just showed you both the trailer. This movie is almost unable to be explained. It's uh, about a nurse that's obsessed with Japanese culture. She's Hungarian. She believes she's a fox fairy, which are creatures that lure men to their death in Japanese lore. And it's like a very funny final destination. Anyone that tries to court her ends up in a bad way. Oh, boy. That's not even touching the fact that this movie's weird. Her best friend is a ghost of a 1950s Japanese pop singer that keeps popping in and out of the scene. You saw the trailer. What were your thoughts? It, 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 I laughed, and I thought, oh, okay. This is." I asked Adam as soon as it was over. I said, is this like horror comedy genre? Or it's horror? everything. It's, it's yeah, yeah, you know, because it's very funny. The trailer looks hilarious. And it's great. It won the audience award at Fantastic Fest. When we leave a movie... We're given a little card with a 1 through 10 score system on it, and you rip the card and give it back to the volunteers. And at the end of the festival, whatever movie scored the best is the audience award. And f- this movie won, and it's nowhere to be found. It, it bums me out because I want to so see it again. So let's start the movement right I'm now. I am starting it. I That's want right. Liza the Fox series. Someone buy this movie. Distribute the film it. coterie wants this movie in America. <laughs> Call me. I'll open up my checkbook. I don't know what you want. <laughs> But I'll distribute this movie if this is what it takes. I want to bring this movie over to the U.S. I will take copies of this movie. I've never even seen it. I just watched the trailer. I will take copies of this movie and walk it to movie theaters and ask them to play it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this uh, people are just missing out. This thing needs to get released. And what brought me back to this point is that in March, Brand New Testament finally comes out. That's another movie I saw from the same Fantastic Fest. So that gives me hope. Here's a movie that took a while to find distribution and came to the U.S., why can't Liza the Fox Fairy? Come on. So once a month, I'm going to call for its release. I'll put up an article on Monday so you can see the trailer. I've already prepared it. I just need to clean it up a little bit. But yeah, this movie needs to come out, and it's my personal crusade. And like I said, whoever has the rights, if you want to contact me, I don't have much, but <laughs> I'll try to get this movie out here if I can. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's that's. I think that's going to about wrap us up for the week. Um you can find us at thefilmcoterie.com and uh, all kinds of, we have a Twitter as well. At Film Coterie on Twitter. Yep. And Facebook is The Film Coterie. Yep. So we're pretty, it's pretty straightforward, easy way to find us, you know. Uh, again, we're looking for guest reviewers. Yeah, and we would love feedback, man. Just leave us a comment on Facebook or on the website. Just, if you read an article and you like it, share it and then leave us a comment and let us know that you liked it. 
Yeah, we want more audience involvement. We'd actually like in the future, maybe once a month, to have the audience assign movie homework. We thought that'd be a fun idea. We just need to get there. Oh, yeah. And we're on iTunes now. We are on iTunes. Oh, yes. So you got to just look us up. We'll be right there. I actually subscribed on my phone. It was kind of nice. Both episode one and two popped right up into my feed. Yeah, your iPhone, your your computer, even your Apple TV, you can get to the podcast. We're there. We're everywhere. So give yeah. us a subscribe. I have to tell you a quick story. I'm listening to one of the episodes, and my daughter was in the kitchen. She's like, man, you're awful critical of all these movies. Don't you ever have anything good to say? I was like, okay, I didn't know I was being critical of the movie, you know. But uh, uh, I told her she needs to start a movement at her high school to get all of them following us, you know, and uh, and subscribing to the podcast. We've only had two episodes, and, and both of the first episodes were giving our top ten movies and movies we love. So we yep. haven't been that critical. I know. That's what I'm thinking, too, you know. so But anyway, it, you know, like I said, we're just getting started with this, with this new podcast, and it's a pretty exciting time. It, I think we're about to embark in a great run of movies in 2017. The slate looks amazing. Maybe we'll take a little segment in the weeks to come and we'll preview what's out, what's coming out there, especially when we get to the summer blockbuster season as well. So Yeah, and a little sneak tease here is I'm working hard on an episode for Women in Horror where some very good things are coming together. It should be episode six. Awesome. If everything comes to fruition, that'll be a good episode. Awesome. Any final thoughts, Matt? Uh, no, I, I, no, we're end of February 3rd at this point. Um, yeah, it's I the got witching nothing. hour. Oh yeah. No, I, I'm good. Awesome. Right. Awesome. We'll see you next time. Yep. See you next week.